Good morning. About 39 years ago, NASA sent out two uh, deep space probes, Voyager 1 and 2, just to go and explore the solar system that we live in. They're now, they went in opposite directions. They're both about 10 billion miles away from Earth. And it's kind of wild when you think about, you know, in 1977, a number of people in here weren't even born yet. But NASA had this plan put together. We want to know what's out there. And you think about some of the project developers that maybe were in their 50s or their 60s, and they were putting something into motion that in their lifetime they wouldn't even be able to see the results of. Uh, The battery power on board of those two probes is going to last somewhere between uh, 2020 and 2025. And so they said, you know, roughly we're going to get somewhere around 45 years of information. But we live in a society that we want results now. We, we want change to happen now. We want to know all the answers right now. And the idea of delayed gratification, like, okay, you've got to work hard at something now, but you may not see the results of it until a year from now or a decade from now. We, we don't like that. We like the ones where you, you get, you know, proof or answers or victory immediately. And yet, we would not have learned the things we have learned from Voyager 1 and 2 without somebody having a vision of a project that would go far beyond their lifespan to send back information. A British man, George Megan embarked on the longest walk anyone's ever taken. It was 19,019 miles. He started at the southernmost tip of South America and walked all the way to the northernmost point of Alaska. It took him six years and 235 days. Did the math just to give you an idea. That's averaging 7.84 miles a day taking approximately 33.5 million steps. You know, you think about a journey like that and how long it would take. In the monotonous weeks and months just to reach his conclusion, just to reach his point of victory. And I think about God And I think about his view of every heart in this room, of every heart overseas in Russia. Think of all mankind. And God said, oh, I got a plan. You know, and it's not going to be Voyager 1, it's not going to be Voyager 2, and it's not going to be George walking from South America all the way up to North Alaska. He says, no, it's a spiritual journey. But the first phase of the journey is salvation. And in Revelation chapter 13, it's talking about the battle that's going on in heaven and the opposing forces and, and talks about this beast out of the sea in Revelation 13. But it just simply says 
um, halfway through verse 8, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. You know, he's talking about the book of life and where we want to end up. And in this case, he's talking about a group of people that weren't going to end up there. But, but the note that I want you to hear, it says the lamb that was slain. It does not say 2,000 years ago. No, it says the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. You know, just like those Voyager probes, you had to launch them. But the results were going to come in a long, long Time later. Now, we're not ever going to know exactly how long creation has, you know, happened. Whether it's a young earth or an old earth. I have my opinions. You have your opinions. One day in heaven we can ask God and then we're going to know for sure. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was slain. That the crucifixion didn't happen 2,000 years ago. No, it happened from the creation of the world. See, people didn't even exist at that point. But the lamb was slain. You see, because Jesus didn't come along later because God's like, Oh no, I've made the universe and all these sinful people, the betrayers, and what are we going to do? Um... You know, where's the duct tape? Let's fix it. Okay, I got an idea. Let's just make Jesus. We'll send him and he can die and we'll kind of recover. Now, the lamb was slain from the beginning of creation. God put that into effect. And now we're just living out the results of that mission. Dad is coming back to God and the angels and they're seeing, oh, hey, we're discovering this and lives are changing here. and This is happening all because the crucifixion that happened before time began. If we turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, the first phase of the mission was just salvation. That was not the end of the journey. That's just... That's just phase one. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, starting in verse 8, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, phase one was salvation. But it's all part of the preparation that God made. You know, the Bible says that God rested on the seventh day. His, his work was finished. Now, he's actively involved, but the preparation, you see, you got to understand, God views all time in an instant. He doesn't see past, present, future. And we have a hard time as a human with that, trying to figure things out. Well, we're not God. He's far above us. He sees all time in an instant. So when it talks about God prepared in advance for you, just like he prepared the crucifixion from the beginning of time, 
all the good works spiritually for you are prepared just as early. And so you got phase one, Jesus goes to the cross, he dies for you. Now phase two of the journey is you carrying on the mission. You say, oh, what part? Well, we don't know yet. But we can take great confidence that God has prepared your mission in advance. Now that ought to make you feel believed in. You know, when somebody does something in advance for you, I have it all prepped for you, it communicates the faith that you're going to get there and you're going to accomplish it. You know, God does not sit there in heaven and go, well, chances of you succeeding are pretty slim. So I think I'm going to hang out and watch. And if by chance you mature into a good disciple... Then I'll slowly break you into the mission and I'll give you a little bit to do so we can kind of see. No, that's just not how it works. God's laid out the mission according to your maximum potential. Your highest, greatest, life-changing achievements, God has those works prepped for you to do. Now, we're going to have to choose to do them. But he's put out your maximum plan. We don't know all the details. We have to live our life to figure out what that is. But the cool thing is that the journey's marked out. God has an incredible vision for your mission. I want to spend the rest of our time over in 1 Samuel looking at a couple men that went on a mission and learned from them. First Samuel 13. First Samuel 13. Starting in verse 19. It says, Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, Otherwise, the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes, and for repointing goads. So on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. They're about to begin a mission. And the fact is, you know, Israel really is not in a great supporting condition. They don't have the weapons. That would be ideal. I mean, the Philistines have kind of controlled the weaponry department. And so they've got it so that there are no blacksmiths except for the ones that they control. And so the only two people that have any kind of weapons at all, the Bible says, are Saul and Jonathan. You know, the fact of the matter is, When you're going to work on God's mission, 
You don't wait until you're perfectly prepared. You know, God's missions are never achieved by perfectionists. Because we're never perfectly ready for God's mission. And so, you know, it's good to be detailed, but if you're at heart, you're a perfectionist, you you need to leave room for God. Because sometimes what being a perfectionist really is, is I want to be in control of all the details. And so I don't want to wait to start my journey until I know that I, in all my wisdom and organization and discipline, am perfectly prepared for any possible thing that could go wrong. But you know what? If you think that way, you'll never become a disciple because you'll never be ready. And just forget marriage. Because you'll never be ready. And heaven help you if you think you will be. You can't date long enough so that every question will be answered. No, there's still a lot of surprises on the back end. Exciting ones and not so exciting ones. You know what? Life's an adventure. But if you've been burned in the past, then then you want to make sure that nothing like that ever happens. And so we can click into this mode. I've got to be totally prepped. You know, what would Jonathan and the armor bearer have accomplished if they were thinking, we've got to be totally prepped? And then I started thinking about all the great things that God accomplished. And which one of them would you go, they were prepped? Not one. I, I could not think of one. So you go, now that's an awesome plan. You've got all the, you know, the ducks in a row. You've got all the resources laid out. You've got, you know, your contingency plans for if things go wrong, then God's going to come through here. What plan in the Bible was organized that way? None of them. And neither is your mission. Don't wait to be perfectly prepared. There's always opposition to the mission. What what do we find now? Well, society today, commitment, it's not popular. We like short-term commitment. But we're nervous about anything that would be lifelong. Because what if I changed my mind? Truth is now considered relative. And so, saying that there is a truth from God and His Word, that's not popular. You'll be accused of being judgmental, narrow-minded, all kinds of things. It's not popular. We have busy schedules. Now, if you're going to do a great mission, like, when is it ever convenient? You know, God wants you to do something big. There's always a reason. The kids always have something going on. You know, and then, you know, we're almost to summer break for the kids. Don't you always feel like, oh, once we get to summer break, life's going to relax? And then on about the 1st of August, you're like, finally, they're getting ready to go back to school so life can return to normal. And you go, wait, how did that happen? That's just life. We're always busy. There's always stuff to do. It's never convenient. But that's okay. 
Don't wait to be perfectly prepared. You know, one mission team that Cheryl and I got to lead together right after we got married, we, we went on our honeymoon, we flew back uh, on a Sunday morning from Halifax, we landed in, in Toronto at 7 a.m., uh, cleared uh, the luggage, we got it all in the car, drove to Hamilton, Ontario, and started leading the church. The service began at 9.30. Had this little mission team in Steeltown, Hamilton, it's about halfway between Toronto and Niagara Falls. It was, it was just a hodgepodge group. It was not hand-picked. Like, okay, here's the awesome group that's going to Hamilton. No, it was like, well, we got some people and we want to build something there, so we're sending you and Cheryl good luck. Um, we had, out of our 25 disciples, we had 11 that lived in that city. And the other 14 lived Beamsville, Niagara Falls, Buffalo, New York, and Rochester, New York, and one couple 30 minutes south of Rochester. So from Hamilton, it took us three and a half hours to drive to our farthest disciples. So that was our group of 25. Well, at that time, we didn't even have enough cars to bring visitors to church. And so... You know, we prioritized, hey, if you, were, if you were somebody's friend, not a disciple, coming to church, you bumped out church members for seat space in the car. Say, well, when did you find that out? At 5 a.m. on Sunday morning. All the calls would go out and people would find out if they had a ride or they didn't have a ride. You say, well, what if they didn't have a ride? Church was on the east side of Toronto. And so it was about an hour and 40 minutes to drive there. And so if you found out at 5 a.m., no ride, then you got on the GO train in Hamilton at 7, which then took you to the west part of Toronto so you could take one train, and then you'd get to the other side, and then you took a bus to go to where the church was so that you could be there for church. Now, that just covered kind of the Hamilton disciples. Our people in, in Buffalo and Rochester... What they did is they just rented an over-the-road bus, a Greyhound bus, every Sunday. Families, children, and they all met in Buffalo, and they all got on the bus, and they drove to church with their kids. And every Sunday, they had as many visitors as disciples on the bus. And then after church, they'd drive the over-the-road bus, and they'd park it in our neighborhood in Hamilton, and we'd have lunch with everybody. And then they'd get on the road, and they'd drive back to Buffalo. Now, eventually, the Buffalo Church of Christ was started, and that was awesome. And eventually, we baptized people with cars. I don't know if that's a spiritual prayer or not, but that was at the top of our list. God, we really want to seek and save the lost, but we especially pray for people that own cars. When we met in Hamilton, we had no place to meet. And so um, Val Fleming, Andy's mom, was friends with the, um, a family that owned a Chinese restaurant. So we met in the banquet room above the restaurant. Kids Kingdom was at our house because we had a big park next to it, three miles from where we met for church. So everybody would come to our house, drop the kids off, then they'd go to church because we just had one room and we had a whole bunch of kids, kind of like Santa Clarita. 
You go, what kind of kid's kingdom is that? It was awesome. The kids had a blast. And you know what? A lot of souls were saved. Now, I look back on that and I go, that is the most ridiculous way to start a church. But you know what? A lot of people became Christians back then. You know, sometimes it's so easy to go, well, we really want to do this, but, you know, we don't, we don't have all the plans. We're just not ready. Uh, you know, we've got this and, and that situation. And it's like God can do the miraculous with a lousy plan. Yeah, think about the first church, the one in Moscow. Seventeen disciples they sent. One of them spoke a little Russian. That's it. That was their plan. In the first year, they had over five or six hundred people baptized into Christ. Was that the plan you would have had? No. Say it's amazing what God did. Say what? What's your mission? What is it that God? Is putting on your heart that you keep going, no, I can't do that. You know, sometimes the mission is to impact one of your neighbors or one of your coworkers or one of your classmates or teammate. But we're afraid because I don't know enough. You know, when, when's the point where you know enough? Never happens. I've been a minister over 26 years. I still don't know enough. I don't know enough to plan a service that everybody's got to rent a Greyhound bus just to go to every Sunday. You know, it's, it's amazing to see what God can accomplish. And I love this. So you've got Jonathan and the armor bearer, and they're like, okay, let's go over to Philistine Outpost. Now you get, you know, and they tell you a little bit about the geography there, and then they get to verse 6, and... Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He go, what faith? Bob says, hey, this was just any old day. But they're like, all right, let's go over. Let's go over and pick a fight. Say, why not today? I got a question. Do you ask why all the time? Or do you ask, why not? Are you a problem pointer outer? Or are you a problem solver? You know what? You want to advance in your career, some free career input? Be a problem solver. Anyone can be a problem pointer outer. But are you going to do anything with it? Do people leave you inspired? Faithful? Or discouraged? Say, what's in your heart? A deep faith that God's going to do something great? Or a fear and a cynicism. Been there, done that. Here we go again. 
Yeah. Heard this before. I tried that before. I tried to do something great and it didn't work. So, too bad. I gave it my one shot. Do you see obstacles or do you see opportunities? You know, Jonathan, what he saw was an opportunity. He goes, hey, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord by saving, whether by many or few. You know, he figured it out. He's like, God doesn't need a whole bunch of resources. Maybe today's the day. You know, I believe God is is waiting for each one of us to have the mindset we go, you know what, today's the day. I want to do something now. I want to make an impact. I want to make a difference. You know, then, verse 7, he says, Do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. You know, if you're going to complete your mission, you need to bring somebody with you. You need somebody to cover your back. Because you can't cover every direction. There's strength and camaraderie in a duo. You know, in some cases, we know a lot of people, but we feel alone. We're not partners in the mission. Are you loyal through thick and thin? Or is your commitment to one another based upon circumstances or busyness? Are you all in? Or are you wait and see? said, will you give your life? Or maybe just lend a hand? You know, when, when you're on a mission, the difference maker is that person covering your back who's with you so when the fight gets intense they're they're right there with you and jonathan says come over and and toward these men and we'll let them see us if they say wait there then they can then we'll wait and they come down but if they say come up we're going to come up either way there's going to be a fight he didn't leave any other opportunity you know, a lot of times I don't reason that way. Well, God, if you want me to do that, then open this door. And if not, well, then I guess you don't want people to be saved. God didn't work that way. He wants something to be done. And that's where Jonathan's like, remember how we started? Hey, perhaps the Lord's going to work. And then all of a sudden he's picking a fight and he goes, no, no, no. We're going to be swinging the sword today, whether it's up there or down here. But there is no in between. So, in verse 11, they showed themselves to the Philistines. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up 
using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. Story goes on, it says, then panic struck the whole army. It was a panic sent by God, it says in the end of verse 15. Then Israel gets motivated, and they come, and they all win a great victory. You say, what happened? Jonathan said, I have a mission, and I think today is the day. Now we'll see what God does, because he can make it happen, whether by many or by few. So how's your faith? How's your mission? Do you have a mission? You say, if not, you've got to find out what it is. God needs missionaries here in Santa Clarita. There's hundreds and thousands of people in this great valley that we live that are praying to know the truth that are praying for direction in their life, that are praying for help in their marriage or family or other issues that they're going through. They want to do it alone. And God prepared in advance for you to play a role in their life. God says, oh yeah, I can see you doing incredible things, and so I've got it all mapped out. What's your part? Open your mouth. Open your schedule. Initiate. Get involved because there's work for you to do. But it's your mission. You're not ever going to be motivated by my mission. In the end of the day, you will live that 24 hours based upon what you believe your mission to be. You know, the thing about a mission is sometimes, just like those NASA probes, it takes months and it takes years to see the results of the hard work and of the labor. You know, I think about um, David Orozco and his wife, Lorena, who was just baptized. And I think about the friendships that God used in the mission to help them get inspired in their faith to live the life of a disciple. But then how they reached out to Lorena's parents and Juan and Maria were impacted because of that. And then their friendship with Reuben and Johanna. And it's like, you know, that's all part of, of the good works. That, God, that didn't just happen. God planned that before the universe began. God already had it in his mind. Phase one, salvation, that was already taken care of. Now you just had to get to phase two where the connection happened. But our, our ministry is full of story after story after story where we can feel like, wow, that's so amazing. And God's like, yeah, I planned that either thousands of years ago or millions or billions of years ago. Either way, it was a long time ago. You're just realizing it now. You know, I think God smiles when we get on board with his plan and then we go, this is so awesome. And God's like, I know, that's why I planned it that way. Like, you know, sometimes we, we, we can be dense and we, we think that God is a little lame. And something amazing happens and we're like, wow, we're shocked. And God's like, 
Like, do you think God would throw a party and it's lame? There wouldn't just be veggie trays at God's party. You know, with that same kind of watery ranch stuff and rubber broccoli in there. No way. God throws a party? He had good wine. They were fired up about it. I mean, God does, God's a banquet. You know, the parable of the great banquet, they did not say, okay, we're going to have like little Bible talk snacks. No, great banquet. Now, you see, God, God has your life mapped out. I don't think it's a 19,000 and 19 mile journey. Hope not. That's a long way to, that you'd have to walk. But I'm confident of this. There's a lot of good works. You're a missionary. You know, sometimes we feel like we have to go somewhere far away to be a missionary. Like the mission, the real missionary is somewhere a long way away. No, it, because if that was true, then, then you'd have people like in Russia going, well, we're going to have to go to Santa Clarita to save those people because all the people in Santa Clarita are going somewhere else. No. God's looking at you. You know, we gave to Russia today. That's a missionary work. Yeah, we may not be able to go there, but we can send our money there and enable them to do awesome things. But God has people and families and lives right here that you're already connected to. But we must connect with the mission. Not my mission. Yours. And Jonathan and his armor bearer inspired the whole nation of Israel because they just simply had the faith to go, why not today? It was just an ordinary day, nothing special. They were not set up for victory. They didn't have all the support. They didn't have all the lines of communication. But they had their God. And they said, that's enough to change a life. And God blessed their faith. I'm excited for the stories we're going to hear about next week and next month and next year and the next decades and in the next lifetimes. Do you realize that there's things that God is using you to accomplish that you're going to die before they ever achieve? Just like those Voyager probes. doesn't matter. God's going to make an impact for generations through you if you live your mission. Let's be inspired by Jonathan and his armor bearer. Let's be grateful to God for the opportunity and the faith that he has in each one of us that he's prepared good works in advance for us to do. Let's find our mission and let's live it out. Let's stand on up as we close in one final song. <laughs>